Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 52 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. For those keeping score at home, wow, that means a year ago today, I began this little podcast that started as an experiment to get me back into the audio game, and sure enough, it stuck around for a little bit. Well, my name is Eric, and today we are covering the issue highlights for week 32, released on August 9th, 2021. This week's issue was curated by Ryo Nakakawara, with help from the R Weekly team members and contributors. And before I go further, I do apologize for not sounding like my usual self this week, as my entire household has unfortunately caught that virus we've all been hearing about. And I'll admit it's been a little rough. But I am on the mend, and thankfully my little ones are starting to feel like themselves again, finally. I hope all of you are able to stay healthy and safe. All right, well, let's get back to the fun of this episode, shall we? I've been on record more than a few times in my various art content productions that using Shiny makes it very possible to create robust, production-grade applications without necessarily leaving the comforts of your R coding workflows. As I've covered in recent highlights of this podcast, under the Shiny hood, is a collection of sophisticated integrations of JavaScript and web styling standards. On the styling front, one of the most important choices made early in the design of Shiny was the inclusion of Bootstrap, arguably one of the most popular open source front-end layout systems for web content, featuring responsive elements and more. Like any major software project, Bootstrap itself has seen massive updates over the years to bring additional enhancements and fixes. And thanks to the important developments within the Shiny ecosystem, there are ways to achieve even more optimal user interface designs to target not just the typical computer display, but also the mobile devices many of us are viewing content on every day. What better way to get you started on that adventure than a brand new post by Head of Data Science at Saturn Cloud, Jacqueline Nolis, on ways you can easily make your Shiny app mobile-friendly, available on her blog and the subject of our first highlight of today. Jacqueline begins by giving us a primer on how certain user interface functions we often see in the tutorial examples of Shiny apps, such as sidebar layout and main panel, are really friendly wrappers of Bootstrap-style classes. After swapping out the helper function calls with their slightly lower level equivalents, but still using our code with functions tailored to HTML elements, we can then make very minor changes to certain classes to modify column width in the grid-based layout, putting control back to you for determining at what point in a app's resolution of display do say plot controls get positioned on top of a plot itself versus depicted side by side. Additionally, you can have the capability of dynamically showing different content based on whether the UI is being viewed on a mobile-friendly resolution versus a typical computer display, something I did not even know was possible. Jacqueline concludes by giving an extremely valuable tip on making use of the developer tools feature in modern web browsers such as Chrome and Firefox, which often have an easy way to see what your app will look like on a mobile browser resolution. That's really handy 
If you want to verify these features or tweaks you've made are working as you expect without busting out your phone each time. Frankly, I'm also just as excited about how this post came to be. Back towards the end of July, our studio's newest developer advocate, Jesse Mostapak, opened a new thread on Twitter asking for input on challenges encountered when learning Shiny. And there have been a lot of great responses. When one user asked about getting their dashboards more mobile friendly, that was enough motivation right there for Jacqueline to ensure there is now a great targeted resource to get you started on that adventure. And I'm always interested when Jacqueline has anything to say about Shiny and frankly even data science. And if you're very interested in see what direction Shiny can be taken, I also have a link in the supplement section of this episode's show notes to a recording from Jacqueline's recent talk at the Cascadia R conference on how she produced an e-commerce application entirely with Shiny based on her popular GGIRL package. Another common thread you've heard in previous episodes of this podcast is the values of open source that is one of the big drivers of the innovation in R itself and of course its vast community of R packages. Well, the very definition of open means that we are able to share the source code freely and be able to learn from each other along the way. Now, it's pretty obvious by now that many in the R community are sharing their code quite easily with services like GitHub that are providing a web-based front-end for the Git version control system. But it is not the only option. In fact, another service that looks may look quite similar to GitHub but has its own distinguishing features has, also has roots in open source itself. While GitHub itself is not open source, another service called GitLab is completely open source at its core, giving you the ability to run your own instance of GitLab on what we might call a self-hosted environment, maybe in an organization or at your academic institution, or you can also take advantage of their external GitLab.com service. I've actually been using GitLab for quite a few years on some personal projects, and it has some very unique features that now Thanks to some really cool updates in the R community, we can now take advantage of directly from R itself. In fact, the GitLab R package, authored by Sebastian Rochette, data scientist at ThinkR, has now released version 2.0.0 the CRAN, and that is what we're going to be covering in this highlight. GitLab R, much like similar packages that tie into GitHub itself, such as GH, provide a friendly R-compliant workflow wrapping the GitLab API for managing repositories and take advantage of some unique features. Version 2 introduces a very nice new feature of launching what's called GitLab CI, or continuous integration, directly from R functions. What is GitLab CI, you ask? Well, it is a way for you to define a very simple YAML constructed file to let GitLab run almost any variety of processing or testing in your repository at key events, such as pushing to the main branch. This may sound familiar if you're in the GitHub ecosystem, 
as GitHub is now leveraging GitHub Actions that provides a similar functionality. But here's a little food for thought. GitLab introduced GitLab CI well before GitHub produced GitHub Actions. And it has worked quite well for many large open source projects and more. Version 2 of GitLab R also introduces a few breaking changes for those of you that have used earlier versions, where now many of the functions to integrate with GitLab require the project parameter first, which project in this case might be akin to a repository in GitHub. But other than that change, you should be good to go with taking advantage of GitLab R's cool new features. For me personally, I think it's great to have choice in this realm of where you're actually hosting your code online. Because much like Git itself being a distributed version control system, you never want a single point of failure to impact your project or your package that you're creating. You always want to make sure that people can find it online and be able to interact with the source code in a friendly way. So I'll be certainly trying out GitLab R again, especially with these great new updates, to see how far I can take it with my personal projects. And now for our last highlight for today. Another common thread we've seen in the year-long history of this podcast is the importance of reproducibility. That covers many fronts. Traditionally, we think of reproducibility in our analyses themselves so that we can clearly document the code that's being used to produce results, but also have a way to dynamically generate results in the same document via the popular R Markdown format, for example. But reproducibility does not stop there. It is also regarding how we actually executed those analyses. You can look at this at different layers. We have the layer of R itself, i.e. see the R version that was used, also the packages that are used for that particular analysis. And then going further up the abstraction layer, what is our actual execution environment via our computer's operating system? All of this plays a role in making sure that if you are collaborating with others on important reproducible analyses, that you are all able to start from the same development environment. This has been painful in the past, but now with the advent of container technology and some great solutions already available in the R community, it is now much easier to take advantage of these to enhance your reproducible execution environment. Rahul Sangoli, data scientist at Apple, has authored a great post on his Medium blog on how he's been able to achieve a reproducible workflow in R that combines the Docker container technology, along with some very helpful explanations and other services directly available in the R community. The first key component in Rahul's uh, workflow here is having a point-in-time snapshot of CRAN so that at any point when somebody's using this container, that any updates to packages are only done based on that snapshot in time. Rahul achieves this by using the Microsoft R Application Network, or MRAN for short, which has a simple time machine-like service where you simply append a date to the end of the repository URL, and hence you are looking at a CRAN snapshot as if you were looking at that specific day, no matter how long you are in the future. Keep in mind, this doesn't quite get you to specific versions of packages, 
I'll have more thoughts on that later on. The next key step is the Docker manifest itself. This is called the Docker file. It is a text file that contains instructions and definitions for how you want to build this development environment. It all starts with what you're basing from. Some Docker files are basing from operating system versions, typically with Linux, and others have more specialized images that are already available with a lot of plumbing already solved for you. And in this case, Rahul's blog post starts off with using the Tidyverse image created by the Rocker project. If you haven't heard of Rocker before, you may be having visions of some music in your head, but no, this is actually a set of curated, carefully maintained images by Dirk Edebutel, Carl Bollinger, and Noam Ross for being able to have Docker-based images for your R development needs. These are rigorously tested, and they have become the standard in this part of the container workflow in the R community. Once you specify what image you're basing your development container from, then Rahu sends a series of run commands, which are basically shell commands to install the various operating system bits that you might need to get certain packages available. This is something I'm very used to, as in my day job, as well as my personal projects, I am using R on Linux, and there are cases where you might need a system library for packages such as XML2 or RGL and the like. But once you set all that stuff up, then you can simply build this image using the docker build command. And then if you want to push to the docker hub repository, which is basically docker's way of hosting images online that for you can use for reference, you can simply run a command called docker push. And now, much like how we talked about code being available as open source, now anybody in the world can take your Docker image if they'd like to use that as well. And with that in place, you now can use this image to actually develop your analyses or project. Rahul uses this image that he illustrates in this post for actually creating his blog. That is an excellent idea. And honestly, that is about just what you need to get started with this idea. But you can take it in a lot of further directions, depending on how much you want to extend it. I personally have made a lot of extensions to this kind of thing, where I use RMV to manage the versions of packages, and I also use container environments for all my personal projects from this point on, and I always ended up doing the same thing as I started to bootstrap these. So now I have my own repository on GitHub, which I'll link in this episode's show notes, that has my standardized development environment where I'm able to leverage either Visual Studio Code or RStudio itself, depending on my preference for the day, and be able to have a template repository in place so that no matter what I develop in an R project, whether it's a simple analysis, a Shiny app, or an R package, I can now put the development environment manifest alongside my actual code in that specific repository. It has really opened a lot of doors for me, and I certainly hope others in the R community start taking advantage of this great tech that's available to ease the pain of reproducibility for your analysis environments. And those are your R Weekly highlights for today. 
Rio has another jam-packed issue readily available for you to peruse some excellent stories and resources from the R community, such as integrating Tailwind CSS and R Markdown, an analysis of New York Airbnb data inspired by the Sliced machine learning competition, updating existing Shiny apps that have been deployed with a Shiny proxy service, and much more. Well, I guess time will tell if this podcast goes on for other years or beyond, but one of the best ways you can help is frankly spreading the word of Art Weekly itself. If you have a favorite issue you'd like to share with your friends in the Art community who may not be aware of this great service, you can find all of the previous issues, including this one, at artweekly.org. And if you have a favorite episode of this podcast, just head to the podcast link directly at the top of the page and you'll see an archive of all the previous episodes. Honestly, the best advertising in open source is word of mouth. Feel free to share your favorite episodes of your friends, and I'll certainly be happy to see who else likes to join the R community and also being able to contribute to R Weekly itself. Have a fantastic week, and we will be back with another batch of R Weekly highlights, hopefully with my normal voice next time, next week.